Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing I Love My Wife. By the way, if you are free tonight, go to number 7 Elm Street. Buzz the buzzer at apartment 4G. Wally's asked the neighbors over for a little orgy. Monica's cooked a turkey and she's baking a cream pie. Hey man, please save me some. Following which they plan to trim the tree. Then the four of them are pairing up and having a threesome. Cleo slightly scared and Wally's cool as ice. Old Alvin's really prepared. He's even showered twice. Just one slight minor snag. Otherwise the thing is in the bag Though the three of them are starting to smolder Monica's not cause nobody's told her Grab your Polaroid and hurry on over Take the curtain up, we're ready to go Bring the wife and kids and don't forget Rover Though it's sexy, it's a family show No one minds a little roll in the clover If beneath it all we're purer than snow All the plans are made and everything's humming Clear the track, good times are coming doing i hope this episode of the podcast finds you well as you well know we have taken a few weeks off as of late from the main feed so we could focus on patreon content but we are back here and we have so much to touch upon patty and i are on our own today benny is off on his own adventures and patty understood that i had been feeling very stressed as of late you may have heard that in my voice in a few of the most recent main feed episodes I was dealing with a lot of stress and depression. I was feeling very overwhelmed, and so Patty suggested that we have a sort of casual meditation breathing session before this recording, before we started recording today. And I have to say, Patty, thank you so much. It means so much to me that you care for my well-being outside of outside of the sphere of this podcast, outside of a professional setting. Patty truly does care about me. She wants me to be centered and calm, and I feel that way. We really did do a lot of fantastic work during that first session, and I want to keep doing that. When Benny comes back, I want Benny to be a part of it too. I think it will be beneficial for all of us. So thank you very much, Patty. I appreciate you so dang much. You've been here since day one. Oh, she's holding out her arms like she's hugging me. Ha ha ha, yes, I'm holding out my arms too. I love you so much, Patty. Thank you so much again. Now, I want to talk about someone else that I love very much, my husband, Chris, because Chris is the person who told me about the concept 
concept of underachieving. You might remember me talking about what it means to underachieve. To cut yourself some slack, take a couple of things off the to-do list, and push them into another day just so you can have some more time for breathing, meditation, relaxing in general. Chris is the person who introduced that term to me, but I did not give him the necessary credit. And as a result, I mean, talking about stress, Chris has taken me to small claims court. We are fighting it out. Oh my God, it is brutal. There is a judge who does not like me. She wears a dusty wig and oh my goodness, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I will keep you up to date. Of course, none of that is actually happening. That is all a fiction. My husband would not take me to small claims court. I hope not. Oh my God. Ah, so congratulations. I want to say congratulations to Moulin Rouge the Musical. Yes, for winning the Tony Award for Best Musical. I saw the Broadway Advocacy Coalition performance that took place during the Broadway's Back event. If you want to hear all of my thoughts regarding Broadway's Back, become a Patreon donor. We'll have all of the information you need about Patreon at the end of this episode. But anyway, so yes, I watched the Broadway Advocacy Coalition and I was inspired to donate to their organization. I would suggest and encourage you do the same. I think that would be a wonderful organization for you to support. I want to talk about, if only for a few seconds, this new staging of Next to Normal that's being planned right now. We talked about Next to Normal on the main feed very recently, and there is a new staging, a new production that is set to star Alice Ripley, yes, of the original cast. She is a troublesome figure, my goodness gracious, and yet, and yet, we're giving her another shot at this role in Next to Normal, but, ah, this is no ordinary staging, no. This is going to be a fully immersive, quote-unquote, version of the show. It's going to be happening all around you. There's going to be 36, count them, 36 speakers all around you, blasting music from the very moment that you walk in, I have to assume. And there are also going to be, get this, floor-to-ceiling projections. This is a show about what it means to deal with bipolar disorder. This is a show about feeling overwhelmed, having panic attacks. Why would you make it fully immersive? Don't you think that this would be a little bit, a wee bit triggering for people who actually have to deal with those overwhelming feelings in their actual day-to-day lives? I hope that nobody goes to see that production. I don't want them to be overwhelmed, and I don't want anyone encouraging Alice Ripley. No, (laughs) no thank you. We've learned, we've learned too much. We know too much at this point. Oh my goodness. I think the tagline for that production should be, if you don't have a panic attack, you get your money back. And then finally, I want to, I want to supplement our show-related ephemera for a recent subject of ours, Sweet Charity. I was watching an episode of The Simpsons with Chris. We are watching all of The Simpsons via Disney+, and we came upon season 7, episode 13 of The Simpsons, which is known as Two Bad Neighbors. If you're a fan of The Simpsons, this is the episode about Homer getting into a feud with George Bush. There is a moment in this episode where Homer sings a variation on Big Spender from Sweet Charity. Patty, can you drop that in right here, if you please? Well, sir, looks like we got some nice items here at Cable Glick, like this. What the heck a Rooney is this, Mrs. Glick? It is a candy dish, Ned. Ninety dollars. Uh-huh. Well, I, uh, I guess you could put a lot of nice things in there. No! Just candy, Ned. Ninety dollars. Uh, hey, Ned. Let me help you with that. Hey, everybody! Who thinks Flanders should shut up? <laughs> so, anyone here from Evergreen Terrace? <laughs> I think this is 
the best neighborhood in town. Anybody agree with me? Yeah, you're the king, homer. King of the neighborhood. Say, that Ayatollah thinks he's better than America. Is he right? Yes. Well, for only $5, you could suck it to him in style. Right here. And for the man who has everything, a tie rack motor. I'll take that. Hey, big spender, dig this blender. Rainbow suspenders, hey, big spender. We surrender. Spend some dough at table three. Rainbow suspenders. Ba, 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 ba. Okay, that's all I have to say as far as the opening segment is concerned. It is now time to hear the show facts regarding this week's subject. I love my wife. I love my wife. I don't care. Ah, show me the show facts. Okay. I Love My Wife was a 1977 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 17th, 1977 at the Ethel Barrymore Theater and ran for 857 performances. The book was written by Michael Stewart and is based on a play by Louis Rigo, the name of which I could not confirm. I could not confirm the name of this play. I'm guessing the play was never produced. I don't know. Tis but a guess. I apologize, Louis Rigo. Rigo? I apologize if I have mispronounced your name, and I apologize to anyone whose name I mispronounce in the very near future. Music was written by Cy Coleman. Hello, Cy Coleman. Sweet Charity, City of Angels fame, and the lyrics were written by Michael Stewart. The director of the original Broadway production of I Love My Wife was none other than Gene Sachs, the musical director, John Miller. Orchestrations, Cy Coleman. Choreographer, well, we have a musical numbers staged by credit, and that goes to Ona White. Scenic design, David Mitchell. Lighting design, Gilbert V. Hemsley Jr. And sound design, Lou Gonzalez. Costume design, Ron Talski. The original Broadway cast was as follows. This is the complete list. We have Lenny Baker, Joanna Gleason, Broadway debut for Joanna Gleason, a.k.a. The Baker's Wife. I feel most Broadway fans know Joanna as The Baker's Wife. We also have Eileen Graff, James Naughton, Ken Bickle, Michael Mark, Broadway debut, and John Miller. I believe this is also the Broadway debut for John Miller. Now, Miller also served as the musical director. You may remember me saying that not but a few seconds ago. He never performed on Broadway again, though he has served as a music coordinator and a music contractor for over 130 Broadway productions. What a number! My God! Congratulations, John Miller! His most recent credit as a music coordinator was Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! Hello, my puppets! And finally, we have Joe Salter rounding out this Broadway cast. As far as Tony Awards are concerned, I Love My Wife won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical that went to Lenny Baker, as well as Best Direction of a Musical, Gene Sachs. It was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Michael Stewart. Best Original Score, Cy Coleman and Michael Stewart. And Best Choreography, Ona White. So, six nominations in 
in total to awards at the end of the day. I do want to provide some general setup as far as the plot is concerned. We do have a full breakdown of the plot, but I want to give you some very basic character info. I think that will allow you to get your bearings, and then at that point, once you have your bearings, we can move into that plot synopsis. How does that sound? I think that sounds fantastic. We really only have four characters that we need to focus on. I need you to remember these names. They're groupings specifically, okay? So we have couple one and couple two. We have two married couples. I hope you're paying attention. Couple one. Okay, so we have Alvin and Cleo, and then couple number two is Wally and Monica. So again, to review, Alvin and Cleo, Wally and Monica. And then we have what I like to call the Shaggy Greek Chorus. And these characters do have names. They are known as Harvey, Stanley, Quentin, and Norman. The Shaggy Greek Chorus, as I said, is a moniker of my own devising. These guys have names, yes, of course, and occupations. They live within the world of the show, but they also exist outside of and comment on it in classic Greek Chorus style. But they're very shaggy. They've got a general crusty hippie vibe, and so that is why I chose to refer to them as the Shaggy Greek Chorus. You do not need to worry about their relationships or their arcs because those do not exist. At the end of the day, again, Alvin, Cleo, Wally, and Monica are the only characters we need to worry about. I should also point out how the Shaggy Greek Chorus acts as the onstage band, which apparently blew a few minds back in the day. I guess we weren't really doing that too often back in the 70s. The following plot summary, yes, it's time for the official summary. This is based on a reading of the book or libretto by Michael Stewart. Act 1, Scene 1. Stanley, Quentin, and Norman of the Shaggy Greek Chorus are described as wearing moving man coveralls because they are, as we come to learn, moving men. Harvey owns a diner, and so he wears an open work shirt. Hello, classic Harvey with his open work shirt. Wally is sporting a leather jacket, shirt, and tie, while his wife, Monica, wears a coat and knit hat. Cleo wears a blouse and a skirt. Her husband, Alvin, is also a moving man and thus clad in overalls. You might be wondering to yourself, why is Jonathan going into this much detail regarding the costuming? Well, it's because the libretto goes into this much detail, and I found myself fixated on all of these costume distinctions, and I felt the need to include them here in my summary. I don't know. It's really not that important, but it all seemed like clues pointing toward the solution for a mystery. I don't know. What can I say? The group sings about growing up in Trenton, New Jersey, where they attended the same high school. It's been 10 years since graduation, but everyone remains the best of friends, as we are told many, many times. These people are the very best of friends. I wasn't planning on talking about the show's opening number, We're Still Friends, but we might as well hear a bit of it right now. Okay, let's do it right now. I realize this is unorthodox, but we're doing it. All right, Patty, can you play a little better that number? Friend. Noun. One who holds for another esteem, affection, and respect so that he seeks, so that he seeks his company, society, and welfare. Well, 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 well. A well-wisher. A well-wisher. One who looks propitiously upon a common cause. As in a friend to commerce. Yeah. A friend to nature. Yeah. A friend to music. Yeah. A friend to man. Yeah. A loved one. A Made a bunk, made a room, made a school, made a class, made a play, made a soul, made a friend. 
thinks they can write the next friendship, but I would argue everyone is wrong. <laughs> that song's okay, but I, I also don't think it's uh, very good. <laughs> we transition to Harvey's diner, where Alvin seats himself next to Monica. Monica is taking a test she found in a magazine, one that determines if the reader is a sexually liberated person. Alvin swipes the magazine, yoink, and takes the test himself, only to discover he is a, quote, repressed, frustrated, emotionally and sexually immature person with attitudes and ideas about male and female relations that are at least 30 years behind the times. Quote, Alvin is predictably displeased with his results. Harvey, Quentin, Stanley, and Norman tell Alvin to get hip. He may be married to Cleo, but that doesn't mean he can't sleep with other women. Say, what about Monica? Why don't you sleep with Monica, Alvin? Alvin scoffs. Monica? Oh, come on. He's known her since they were kids. There is no way Alvin would ever find Monica attractive. On second thought, Alvin absolutely finds Monica attractive. They very, very attractive. Ooh, Monica, where have you been all these years, you incorrigible minx? Cleo enters the diner with a slew of Christmas parcels, followed closely by Monica's husband, Wally. The gals journey forth to do a bit of shopping, leaving Wally and Alvin to chat about, what else? The sexual revolution. Wally does not believe in monogamy. No way. Poppycock. Why settle for man and wife when you could invite another woman into the mix? Alvin comes around to this idea and vows to broach the subject with Cleo later that night. Act 1, Scene 2. This is the final scene in Act 1, by the way. Act 2 also only has two scenes. I feel the need to point that out to you. Alvin, Stanley, and Quentin piece together a set which represents Alvin and Cleo's apartment. Alvin sings about the joys of being a moving man, though I'm not sure why. It doesn't shed a lot of light on his character or factor into the larger plot, his being a moving man, I mean. Between you and me, a lot of these songs are what I like to call... Hot, high, 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 time, time, time wasters. That's it, time wasters. Yes, I hit upon it. Cleo does her best to seduce Alvin upon slipping into bed. Ooh, hello. But Alvin only has one question on his mind. How can we, as a perfectly happy married couple, he wants to emphasize he is very happy in their marriage, but how do we share our love? Put another way, how can we bring someone else into the picture? Cleo assumes her hubby wants a baby, a fantastic idea in her opinion. Alvin disabuses her of this notion. Cleo goes on to assume her hubby wants a dog, a terrible idea in her opinion. Alvin comes clean. He wants to sleep with Cleo and another woman at the same time. It's called a threesome. What do you think about that? And well, Cleo falls apart. She falls apart. The sobbing, my God, the sobbing that ensues. But Alvin is not swayed by this melodramatic display. He tells Cleo to shape up or ship out because the times they are a Changing, babe. Members of the chorus appear in devil costumes to foster Cleo's lusty instincts, and she finds herself taking a shine to the proposition. After all, she has always wanted to have sex with Wally. Alvin is thunderstruck. Wally? As in Wally? His best buddy in the whole wide world? That Wally? Just then, a knock at the door. Why, if it isn't Wally and Monica. They were on their way to visit Monica's ailing mother, but they also wanted to invite 
invite Alvin and Cleo over for dinner on Christmas Eve. After a long series of ostensibly wacky shenanigans, Monica leaves to attend to her mother while Wally hangs back. He's pleased to discover Cleo wants him for a lover, hello, but Alvin is clearly displeased by the idea. Cleo, Alvin, and Wally eventually come to an agreement. The only way a threesome is ever going to work is if it's actually a foursome. Alvin will have sex with Monica, Wally will have sex with Cleo, and everyone will be satisfied. It's an old-fashioned wife swap. Of course, Monica is not in the room when this arrangement is made, but Wally assures everyone his wife will be on board by Christmas Eve. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Act 2, Scene 1 of 2. Harvey and his associates appear in Santa Claus outfits and perform a song that reiterates what we already know, namely that Alvin and Cleo are coming over for Christmas Eve dinner and Monica has no idea what's actually on the menu. Act 2, Scene 2. As with Alvin and Cleo's humble abode, the men of the chorus build Wally and Monica's apartment piece by piece. Monica presents Wally with a pair of, quote, fire engine red high-top shoes with four-inch heels, quote, which are later described in the libretto as boots. They might actually be disco-style platform shoes. That was Chris's theory, at least. Wally proceeds to squeeze himself into the boots, which are too small and incredibly painful. He then gives Monica a bright orange backpack, which is supposed to be a bad gift, I guess. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, nobody knows how to pick out a halfway decent Christmas present, etc. Hilarious. Norman appears in a white tuxedo at a white piano. Monica and Wally then proceed to sing about the joys of Christmas Eve because... Why not? We apparently have the time. The holiday cheer is spoiled when Wally reveals what's actually on the agenda for that night. Monica flips. She packs her bags and heads for the door. I'm spending Christmas with my mother! Only to change her mind once Alvin and Cleo arrive. It's not that Monica is suddenly into the idea of a foursome, mind you. No, no, no. She simply wants everyone to know she is not a square. No corners on this dame. Perfect circle. To that end, Monica serves a turkey dinner while wearing nothing but an apron and her bra and panties, making no attempt whatsoever to conceal her fury. Wally has an idea. Let's cool off with a bit of pot. Alvin thinks the pot is actually modeling clay, but Wally insists this is primo five-star weed. This shit cost 80 bucks, Alvin. Shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. In a stunning turn of events, the pot is revealed to actually be modeling clay. Ha 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 These maniacs have been inhaling modeling clay, or like burning the clay and inhaling absolutely nothing at all, but it does the trick, I guess, and everyone winds up in bed together. Wally breaks out a copy of 100 Classic Combinations to Greater Joy and More Intense Fulfillment, which is basically a knockoff of the Kama Sutra. Let's try out some of these positions. You put your leg here, I'll put my arm there, I'll put my toes in your pussy, etc. The resulting experimentation does not go well, and so the group decides to stick with traditional methods. Why make everything so complicated? Let's just fuck for crying out loud. Ah, 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 but... Here's the thing. Alvin can't get it up. Uh-uh. His penis is softer than silk. Softer than the Pillsbury Doughboy himself. Despite his attraction to Monica, Alvin loves Cleo. I love my wife too much. I love my wife too much to sleep with another woman. That's what he says. And so the couples return to their monogamous lives, content in knowing they will remain friends 
forevermore. In other words, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed for these people, which is pretty annoying, even for a comedy that's engineered to be disposable. P.S. I intentionally overlooked about two dozen gags when putting together this summary. I skipped over some, oh boy, hilarious moments. The quartet eats banana cream pie in bed. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Monica serves dinner plates like playing cards. Uh-oh. The fellas wrestle and roll in and out of rooms, etc. Oh my gosh, it's like a Looney Tune. The hilarity never ends, or at least I assume it does not. The whole affair seems equally noisy and plotting. That having been said, I did take the time to transcribe a couple of amusing excerpts from Stuart's libretto, his book, Amusing Excerpt from the Book Number One. Okay, so to set the scene, everyone is arguing over who should stay and hang out with Alvin and Cleo. Should Monica stay? Should Wally stay? Who should go sit with the mother who is sick? Oh, goodness gracious, there's a lot of arguing going on, but I did like this little exchange. So we start with Monica. Monica says to Wally, her husband, you stay, darling. I promised mother I'd be over in half an hour. Cleo, that's it. Wally stays, then he can pick her up later. Alvin, she can't go all that way by herself. Cleo, her mother only lives around the corner. Monica, I'd rather go by myself. Whenever we visit mother, all Wally does is sit and look at his watch. See you at 11. Alvin, pulling her back. This is a stage direction. He's pulling her back, taking her coat off, pushing her into a chair. I still don't think it's right. Monica's been out shopping all day. She's probably exhausted. I think she should sit here and relax and let Wally go. Wally, to visit her mother? Alvin, a mother is a mother. What difference does it make who she belongs to? I'll get your coat. Wally, but the old lady hates me. Alvin, well, you know what they say. Hate is the next thing to love. She's probably calling for you now. I can hear her. Wally, Wally, where is Wally? Wally, I am not going to see Monica's mother. Alvin, you'll love her when you get there. I'll bet she has nice cookies for you. Yum, yum, nice cookies. Wally, Wally, where is Wally? That's it. That's the end of that excerpt. I mainly transcribed that for the phrase, yum, yum, nice cookies. I think that's fine. Yum yum nice cookies. And then this exchange, I believe, is from the same scene. It's at a later point in that same scene. Okay, so amusing excerpt from the book number two. Alvin says, well, let's all watch television. I think the Muppets are on. To which Wally says, I don't want to watch the Muppets, which I find... <laughs> I just find that to be an amusing rejoinder. I don't want to watch The Muppets. For the purposes of this week's episode, I read the 1977 book by Michael Stewart. If you did not know that already, you are not paying attention. I listened to the 1977 original Broadway cast album, and I watched the 1977 Tony Awards performance of I Love My Wife, Married Couple Seeks Married Couple, and Hey There, Good Times. During the I Love My Wife and Married Couple Seeks Married Couple portion of this performance, all four of our leads are crammed into this very tight, it's a, it seems very uncomfortable. They are crammed into this prop stage bed. They all are in various states of undress, and poor Lenny Baker is trying his goddamnedest not to just flat out fall out of this fucking bed. It's not big enough. Make it a little bit bigger so that poor Lenny isn't falling out. His skinny ass is about to slam into the fucking boards. Talk 
talk about treading the boards, his bare ass, oh no, oh my goodness. And then when the bed has to move out so the shaggy Greek chorus can come in in their Santa Claus outfits, the bed gets stuck. The bed gets fucking stuck on its way out. And Lenny Baker, who is a hero, he has to put his foot out. He puts his foot out and he puts all all of his weight into one heel, and he somehow manages to shove the entire fucking bed into the wings. It is a monumental feat of strength. I don't know how he does it. It is absolutely a yeet moment. Yeet is what he says as he pushes the bed off stage. I don't know. I guess the Tony Awards were a rough and tumble DIY operation back in 1977. Hey, Good Times, oh boy, Hey There Good Times is technically the opening number from Act 2, which sees everyone from the shaggy Greek chorus, as I mentioned, in their Santa Claus best. The audience has no real idea what to do with this group of guys, and that does not surprise me. This feels less like a Broadway musical, quote-unquote, as we generally know it, and more like a novelty act from a college reunion. Oh boy, yeah. Feliz Navidad, class of 57. Dave's not here for Christmas, man. I don't know. It has a junky stoner vibe. Nobody's vibing with it, and I am not either. Nope. Nope. Having read the book by Michael Stewart, my philosophy when approaching the score was as follows. If the plot of your musical is going to be this dopey, you had better make damn sure the songs are entertaining. Like, ludicrously entertaining. Did that wind up being the case, or is I Love My Wife merely a second-rate Neil Simon script with songs stapled onto the margins? Let's find out. Patty, I would like to begin with a clip from the song Monica. surprisingly hard to fault the song Monica for its horny caveman shtick. The grunting refrain of Monica's name is intentionally slimy and masturbatory, and I wind up chuckling despite myself. God help me. This is stupid material, but Coleman and Stewart are leaning so hard into the nonsense, they're practically horizontal, and I sort of admire, sort of admire the commitment to the gag. On the other hand, a fair amount of the lyrical humor simply does not land. Monica, Look at the way she shakes. Those aren't just buns, they're cakes. I'm not seeing the path that would lead us from buns to cakes. I don't know, I don't see that. And if it pleases the court, I would rather not hear about granddaddies popping their belts. Ugh. Are their buckles popping off because of their old boners? Please tell me I'm overthinking this. Please, I am begging you. While I sit setting curls in the beauty saloon for the moon, picking up every plum while I wait like a boob, eating chips, chewing gum, watching life on the tube. If there's a love revolution before my chances go by, here with my firm resolution, I'm gonna give it a try. I hear the bees sweetly, 
resolution is the rare number from I Love My Wife that actually manages to capture and hold my attention from start to finish, a distinction I attribute to Eileen Graff's earnest performance and first-rate vocal chops. Maybe it's because No Time to Die has finally been released and Mr. James Bond is on my mind, but Graff's rendition of Love Revolution reminded me a lot of Rita Coolidge and All Time High, an underrated Bond theme, if I may say so. Look it up! I would also like to highlight the following lyrics from Michael Stewart, which I enjoyed. Quote, While I sit setting curls at the beauty saloon, are the rest of the girls taken off for the moon? Picking up every plum while I wait like a boob. Eating chips, chewing gum, watching life on the tube. Quote, I enjoy how Cleo says beauty saloon instead of beauty salon, and for whatever reason I find this talk of chips and gum endearing. Cleo is painting an unflattering portrait of herself, and it involves a bottom appetite for chips and gum. Same, sister, same. Well, not the gum, but I love chips. A mover's life has many parts. He is a catalytic agent bringing happiness to some and other strife and broken hearts. For couches, cabinets, and chairs, the cloak of destiny he wears. Each piece he moves, a tale to tell. For some it's hope, for some it's hell. Some wanna go, some wanna stay. I seen a lamp that ran away. Why, just last week, would you believe? A robe lay down to grieve, while two chandeliers gave three little cheers. Mover's heart is happy well. He moves a frightened load of furnishings to someplace clean and bright so they can start to live again. Free from the threat of wreckers' ball, of breakers' axe, of vandals' knife. Free from the threat of wreckers' ball, of breakers' axe, of vandals' Asleep. A mirror cracked, a cradle hid, a baby grand cried like a kid, and a sink left behind said, I don't mind. A mover's day is perfect when he finds a battered kitchen chair and leads it gently by the arm to where it may be born again. From the threat of wreckers ball, of breakers axe, of vandals knife, such is a mover's life.
As expected, A Mover's Life is a pointless musical cul-de-sac, but it manages to skate by on Lenny Baker's Sleepy Charm, which was a nice surprise. There are no star performances in I Love My Wife, but everyone is doing their best with the cards they've been dealt. The parts are more impressive than the whole. I'm not afraid to admit it. Did anyone else find the phrase Vandal's Knife leaping out at them not unlike an actual vandal with a knife? It disrupts the rhythm established by Wrecker's Ball and Breaker's Axe. Wrecker's Ball, Breaker's Axe, Vandal's Knife, which in turn produces an extra bit of serotonin within Minogin. I like that disruption. I like that left turn. I am not afraid to admit it. is far and away the most enjoyable song from this week's score. This is ABBA with a splash of barbecue sauce, the sort of breezy single that perfectly underscores a lazy Sunday drive. To be more precise, the music and lyrics are fine. To refer to them as good might be a little hyperbolic, but sure, let's say they're good. What makes the song stick is the work of Joanna Gleason and Eileen Graff. They are carrying this show over the finish line, and while I applaud their efforts, it's depressing to consider yet another Broadway score that only takes off when women pour their heart and soul into it. Exceptional performers deserve exceptional material, and I wish Gleason and Graf had a deeper, richer well to draw from. Someone Wonderful also calls to mind the more wistful numbers from former subject Pump Boys and Dinettes. Does anyone remember the song from Pump Boys that was about sisters who no longer love each other or some shit? I certainly do, because that song keeps me up at night. Oh, that song was depressing. I'm a softy, I guess. Sentimental, oh yes. But I honestly do believe there's no kick to compare with the thrill that you share being lovers on Christmas Eve. Santa Claus turns me on One ho-ho and I'm gone Go on, say it, I'm too naive But who cares and so what Just as long as I've got My sweet lover on Christmas Eve Easter's sweet, so is Lent When it's spent in your arms And Labor Day and Arbor Day charms but they pale I'm afraid and I'll put in the shade by the night 
Just by being together and lovers on Christmas Eve. Jingle bells, leave me cold. For Saint Nick, I'm too old. Red-nosed reindeer, that's make-believe. Good old Scrooge, he's my boy. Still in all, I enjoy being lovers on Christmas Eve. This next observation is for all of the Merrily We Roll Along fans out there. When I picture a young Franklin Shepard and Charlie Kringus in the dimly lit clubs of Greenwich Village, Lovers on Christmas Eve feels like the sort of song they would use to pad out their repertoire. We thought they had us booked for 45 minutes, they're telling us we need to fill an hour, and so we thought, why not? Let's do Lovers on Christmas Eve. It's July, but who cares? Without the natural poise of Joanna Gleason, this song would never rise above background noise at a piano bar, not in a million years. Because one does not barter with the bartender or smack their ice cubes together when Gleason is singing. Her voice calls for stillness and attention. You listen to Joanna. That's the baker's wife up there. God damn it. I'm not a fan of how James Naughton is brought in to take over the number at a certain point. His gentle imitation of Bing Crosby is sort of comforting, but if Eileen Graff can deliver a solo without interruption, the same should go for Gleason. The men already have more than enough to do in this show. Let Joanna have a fucking minute to herself. Grass. For some it's coke, for some it's powder, for some it's smoke Everybody today is turning on For some it's dust, for some it's weed For some it's acid, for some it's speed Everybody today is turning on Alright, I was willing to give Lovers on Christmas Eve the credibility that comes with performing in Greenwich Village, but everybody today is turning on is the sort of pablum one finds in your average Second City review. Like, honestly, what are we doing here? Are we writing a coherent musical, or are we auditioning for Ray Stevens? My kingdom for a song that moves the story forward, my God, instead of putting it on ice, please, please, my kingdom for a song that requires the actors to look at each other instead of out at me. Please, what are you looking at me for? I can't save this thing. Do I look like Ray Stevens? Do I look like Ray Stevens? I'm asking you, do I look like Ray Stevens? It's the yellow baseball cap, isn't it? I'll take it off. Thoughts may stray, my eyes may roam, the neighbor's grass may seem much greener than the grass right here at home. If pretty girls excite me, well, that's life, but just in case you didn't know. Love my wife, my mind at times 
might dwell on sex. If someone's rating dreams, then most of mine, I guess, are double X. So dimpled knees delight me, well, that's life. But just in case you hadn't heard, I love my wife. What is it with this show and knees? I didn't go into this beforehand, but I'll get into it now. Everybody's constantly talking about knees. Are knees sexy? Were they considered sexy at one time? Are knees funny? Were they considered funny at one time? I Love My Wife is a bum tune. It does not work on a sentimental level, and it sure as hell does not work as comedy. Forget about laughing. I find it hard to imagine people chuckling or even smiling through this gunk. The show had lost every wisp of steam by the time I got to this number, and let me tell you that was a major letdown. I did everything I could to give Coleman and Stewart the benefit of the doubt, and they did me dirty. Can we talk about how lame it is that no one in this show winds up fucking? No one fucks! If I may put on my writer's top hat, which should not be confused with my conical director's cap, I would suggest having Act 1 end with a successful foursome. Act 2 would then go on to explore the ramifications of that decision, how the foursome impacts our characters. That sounds a hell of a lot more promising and potentially funny to me, the musical man. There is so much material we could be mining from this basic scenario. Instead, we're subjected to jokes about bright orange backpacks or whatever the hell. If you're going to write a sex comedy, write a sex comedy for living, breathing adults who actually have sex and are not afraid of it. Grow up. I thought you enjoyed the horny caveman shtick, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I'm over it now. My moods are like the tides. They shift, baby. They shift! That's all I have to say regarding the score of I Love My Wife. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Oh! <laughs> Hello there, Vivo. I didn't see you down there. Are you supposed to be the spokesperson? I should say, spokes kinkajou for 5678 Coffee? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Feel free to take the mic, say whatever you want to say. Oh, oh God, is he okay? 20 minutes, oh, okay. Well, we do need to do this now, so I can translate for you if that's fine, if, if you're you're comfortable with that. This is fine. We can do this. Okay, so Vivo, go ahead, go into your spiel, and then I will translate.
Boop. Okay, so generally what Vivo was saying just then is that 5678 coffee is his brand of choice when it comes to coffee. It's the only coffee that he buys, right, Vivo? Okay, great. And he just wants everyone to know that if you don't take his recommendation seriously, he is more than willing to... This this does get a little graphic, so I just want to make everyone aware of that. Patty, I don't know if we're going to have to censor any of this. I don't know. It just gets a little graphic. All right, so how do I put this? If you do not take little Vivo seriously, which you should because Vivo is adorable, but he's also very smart. He has a little hat and a bandana. He's a fabulous little king of Jew, and he is here to tell you that if you do not take him seriously, he will pluck out your eyes, and he will pop them into his mouth and roll them around like they are jawbreakers, and you will not be able to see. You will not be able to see because your eyes will have been gouged out by Vivo. And 5678 Coffee, you can count on it, of course, the classic branding. Thank you for making sure to include that, Vivo. And that's it, right? That's all you had to say. Bye! Bye, Vivo! Alright, well, simple enough. I think that went well. <laughs> His translator was not here. The guy's stuck in traffic, but we rolled with it, and I, I, I like the results. Okay, final thoughts regarding I Love My Wife. Having gone on record as saying I am a fan of Joanna Gleason and Eileen Graff, it saddens me to report that despite the occasionally amusing lyric and diverting melody, Cy Coleman and Michael Stewart's score proves to be almost willfully forgettable. We had an okay comedy lying around and a bunch of songs that were rejected by Ray Stevens, and we figured, hey, why not smash them together and call it a day? You're not allowed to call it a day. No. You get back in there and you turn this into something that resembles a proper, coherent musical. Well, who can say what a proper musical is anyway? Away with you, I say. Get back to work! Now, in 1977, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Annie, and the additional nominees that season were Happy End and Side by Side by Sondheim. Do I feel that Annie should keep its medallion for the Tony Award for Best Musical? Yes, I do. Annie, you don't have to worry about it. Keep the medallion. Yeah, fine. You're good. Okay. Let's rank I Love My Wife against all of the other musicals we have talked about on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at the full ranking, all you need to do is take a look at our spreadsheet, which can be accessed via our link tree. You can find the link tree on twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. Once you're on that spreadsheet, just go to the second tab. That's where the ranking is. I do have one change to announce here. What is the change that I made? Oh, okay, so the Goodbye Girl has been moved to number 69 between Little Me at number 68 and Bring It On, the musical at number 70. And as for I Love My Wife, this week's subject, that falls at number 92, pretty low, 92, between Crazy For You at number 91 and School of Rock at number 93. Very low. Not a great showing, I love my wife. Ah, Ah, this is great. Okay, I'm very excited to share this show-related ephemera with you. So as I told you, I read the libretto by Michael Stewart. I found a copy through the Chicago Public Library Service. Thank you very much, CPL. And on the inside front cover of that copy of the libretto is a list of other musical librettos that you can purchase through Samuel French. And I just want to share a few of the titles
musicals from this list. The names of these musicals are fantastic. I couldn't make up some of these if I tried. If you gave me a million years at a typewriter, I would never come up with some of these crazy titles. Okay, so we have Privates on Parade. These are all real musicals, as a reminder. Privates on Parade, Yankee Ingenuity. This next one is in quotes. Quote, not the Count of Monte Cristo. Quote, that has a question mark and an exclamation point at the end of it. Not the Count of Monte Cristo. It's so good. Brilliant. No notes. All right, so moving on, we have Pushover, Turnabout, Viva Mexico, Old Mother Hubbard, Ododo, that's O-D-O-D-O, Ododo, Jack the Ripper, Cowardly Custard, Gorky, there is a musical that exists called Gorky. How about this next one, which is also in quotes, quote, progress may have been all right once, but it went on too long, quote, all right. How about Ian Escapade? That's I-O-N-E-S-C-O-P-A-D-E. Ian Escapade. All right. Sounds marketable. What about, what a spot? That has an exclamation point at the end of it. What a spot. Diamond studs. Noah's animals. El Grande de Coca-Cola. I'll say that one again. El Grande de Coca-Cola. And I saved the best for last. This is the name of a real musical. Pretzels. Pretzels. That's it. Pretzels. I'll say it a hundred times. Pretzels. I love it. A musical called Pretzels. I'll never get over it. And then from the back cover of this libretto, I want to read to you a description of a play that you, yes you, can do at your theater right now. The name of the play is My Fat Friend by Charles Lawrence. It requires three men, one woman, and is an interior play. It all takes place within interior locations. Here's the official description from Samuel French. Vicky, who runs a bookshop in Hampstead, is a heavyweight. Inevitably, she suffers, good-humoredly enough, the slings and arrows of the two characters who share the flat over the shop. A somewhat glum Scottish youth who works in an au pair capacity, and her lodger, a not-so-young homosexual. When a customer, a handsome, bronzed man of 30, seems attracted to her, she resolves she will slim by hook or by crook. Aided by her two friends, hard exercise, diet, and a graph, she manages to reduce to a streamlined version of her former self, only to find that it was her rotundity that attracted the handsome book buyer in the first place. When, on his return, he finds himself confronted by a sylph, his disappointment is only too apparent. The newly slim Vicky is left alone once more to be consoled, up to a point, by her effeminate lodger. So they give you the entire plot, and if you're not sold on that plot description, how about a couple of quotes from reviews? Uh-oh, critics! Here's what the critic from Times News Magazine had to say, quote, My fat friend is abundant with laughs, quote, and how about WCBS-TV? Their critic said, quote, If you want to laugh, go. Quote. I'll say that again. If you want to laugh, go. What the fuck do I care? Do you want to laugh? Then go. You don't want to laugh? Then don't go. Fuck you. If you want to laugh, go. Fuck you. Do you want to laugh? Then go. If you don't want to laugh, then don't go. Fuck you. You want to go? Fine. Laugh. Go laugh. Laugh and go. Go laugh if you want to. I don't care. Fuck you. Fuck you. If you don't want to go, if you don't want to laugh, you don't feel like laughing, don't go. Fuck you. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Conan the Singer. 
banger. Everyone ready? Then away we go. All right, all right, I'm getting my bearings. It would seem I'm in the year 2004. This is a 2004 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And as of today's recording, it has run for over 6,857 performances. You know what this is. It's about a witch. It's wicked, wicked, wicked. That's right, wicked, W-I-C-K-E-D. It's a big one, I'm excited to talk about it, and you don't have to wait, we're not taking another break. It's gonna come at you next week via the main feed. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. Everyone else will get them on Wednesday. You'll get them on Monday, two days early. You also get a verbal shout-out if you donate at least $1 a month. Let's do those shout-outs now. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you again. You also get 16, count them, 16 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, the trailer for West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, and finally, our most recent bonus episode, which is all about Diana the Musical. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the songs that make me feel more like myself, and you get all 11 episodes of M3, the Movie Musical Man. That is a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our next episode is dropping October 27th, and the theme for that episode is The Mice and Pumpkin Trilogy. These are all movie musicals that serve as adaptations of the Cinderella fairy tale. So, we're going to be talking about The Slipper and the Rose, the story of Cinderella, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella from 1997, and finally, Cinderella from this year, the 2021 musical starring Camilla Cabello, I always get her name wrong, James Corden's in it, Adina Menzel is in it, Billy Porter is in it. You know what I'm talking about. That one is going to be a stinker. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, Wildcats Everywhere, that's 10 episodes of our high school musical podcast, and finally, a special one-off episode all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel 
so and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast, you get to decide the subject of the show, as long as that musical was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. You also get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by none other than the Phantom of the Opera. You also get access to my Broadway and Chicago review series and volumes one and two of Shout About It. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season one, 12 episodes of The Snug Club, which is dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, you get access to Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We have already produced episodes about Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop, and we have six more episodes in the works. Ah, they're on deck, I tell you. They're on deck. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want 65-star reviews. We now only have... 51. We are so close to our 60 review goal. And once we hit that goal, I will release a special episode via the main feed all about Disney's Zombies franchise. Now, this figure, this total figure, 51, that figure that I gave you, that has been readjusted as I realized I had been counting my own reviews of the show, which seemed like just a bit of a cheat. That was a bit embarrassing. So yes, I said reviews, by the way. I said reviews. There were two. But if we are going to do this, we are going to do this right, goddammit. We can't count my praise of the show. We all know I like the show. We will get to our goal eventually. I just know it. All you have to do is keep writing those reviews. Come on, help a musical man out. You could also stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at musicalmanpod, and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny. Oh, we miss you, Benny. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah, oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. Table five, ah, 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 table five.